Now, back to the Frontier Freedom Hour with Jeff Hunt, sponsored by Centennial Institute at Colorado Christian University. Here's Jeff Hunt. I'm going through the top premium Babylon Bee headlines and just totally enjoying life right now. In bold anti-Trump statement, Pelosi rips up a Bible. <laughs> Biden cuts hole in mask so he can still sniff people's hair. This one was one of my favorite. Biden, I'm the only candidate who can beat Ronald Reagan. <laughs> Even Geronimo's laughing over there. We're having a good time, friends. On the show, Seth Dillon, the CEO of Babylon B. He's going to be speaking at the Western Conservative Summit June 9th and 10th here in Denver, Colorado. He's here. You're not going to want to miss it. And we have an incredible lineup of speakers and uh, just so much to enjoy. A great celebration of the West, of faith, family, and freedom. So uh, we've been talking with Seth about you know, censorship and, and uh, the importance of comedy and, and just the history of Babylon Bee. And, and Seth, I do want to get on this. I mean, you've been on Joe Rogan's podcast. I appreciate comedians like Joe, uh, Bill Burr, um, uh, you know, those guys that are willing to push the boundaries and, and not be censored. And I felt like wokeness ran into a brick wall with comedians because they're not willing to give up free speech. I mean, I, I, they're one of like the last bastions that was willing to defend freedom and comedy and free speech. Uh, what was that experience like with Joe and, and just meeting and working with other comedians like that and the importance of comedy and free speech in, in a woke culture? Well, um, big, big question. Um, well, <clears throat> I think there are some comedians. It's certainly true that there are some comedians who are taking a stand and saying, look, you know, comedy is offensive by nature. So, you know, someone or something is the butt of the joke and it's a healthy thing. Like it's, a, it's important for us to take ourselves less seriously and we need to be free to be able to make these jokes and have these kinds of conversations. There are comedians who are doing that. There's also a lot of comedians, you know, like we, we look at like the landscape right now with late night comedy. I think, I think I love this term that uh, was coined to describe what they do now. It's, it's, it's called going for clapter, which is like the, yeah. the, the, la the the applause of affirmation uh, mixed with the with, with you know instead of the laughter of amusement they're they're applauding you know like like you're preaching to them and they're agreeing with you that's what's happening a lot in these late night shows there's not a lot of like true comedy happening anymore where people are actually willing to make jokes that god forbid subvert or poke holes in the popular narrative of the day that comes from the powers that be i mean isn't that what comedians are supposed to do and isn't that important well I think so. Dave Chappelle thinks so. Joe Rogan thinks so. Bill Maher thinks so. There are a number of, of comedians who are still kind of like the last men standing, opposing this this idea that the popular narrative needs to be off limits. You can only mm -hmm. promote it or remain silent. They still challenge it to their credit. Um, and their audiences, by the way, including ours, have only grown as a result of our opposition right. to the effort to silence and suppress us. They actually draw more attention to us. They lift our profile. They amplify our voices when they try to silence them. So um, I think that's an important thing. But, um, yeah, the, the experience with Joe was great. I mean, he's, he's like-minded on, on these issues. We disagree on, on a lot of things, but we, we definitely agree on the issue of speech. And, and one of the segments you talked about, I mean, this, was, this went viral, was – you giving a great defense of the sanctity of life on the most popular podcast in the world. And you did a, a, a great job at that. What was, 
and you were well prepared for it, but what was that experience like? And, and give people a little insight into what Joe asked you in that, se- in that segment. Well, yeah, I mean, I was prepared and I was, I was not prepared to have that conversation in the sense that I expected it. I did not expect to have that conversation with him. I didn't think we were going to get into, you know, uh, uh, a debate about abortion on, on that program. Um, I thought we were mostly going to be talking about censorship and free speech and what happened to the bee and all of that kind of stuff. But, and we did, we talked about that a lot, but, um, we, we somehow, I don't, I don't remember exactly how it started, but we got off into that and wading into those waters. And I was prepared, at least in the sense that I have, I, I know what I believe and why I believe it. And so I already had that kind of fixed in my mind and heart before I even went into that conversation. That's just because it's an issue that's kind of near and dear to me. I care about it. Um, I think it's an important issue. I think it's one of the more important issues of our time. Um, and so, you know, I've, I've, I've studied the arguments on both sides, and I was, I was prepared to have a discussion about why I believe what I believe, that life is, you know, precious and valuable. We're made in God's image, and our, our lives are, 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 are meaningful and inherently valuable from the, from the moment of conception. You can't draw lines where all of a sudden you just arbitrarily pick and choose. Now I think it's a life that's worth, uh, that has its own rights and is, is worth preserving and protecting. Um, and so that's kind of what we went back and forth on. And he was arguing that he was arguing that there should, at the very least, be exceptions for cases like, you know, a teenager who gets raped. And he and he got really kind of passionate and heated at one point. And he said, "You don't have the right to tell my 14-year-old daughter he has a teenage daughter um, that if she gets pregnant by a rapist that she has to carry that baby. You don't mm-hmm. have that right." And so it was. It got kind of like contentious, and I squirmed in my seat a little because it was very personal. He made it personal. Uh, and went right for the hard case, you know, but I, I just stuck to the, the syllogism. I kept the main thing, the main thing. It is mm-hmm. wrong to intentionally kill an innocent human. Abortion intentionally kills an innocent human. Therefore, abortion is wrong. And you can't fix another wrong by punishing someone who's innocent. It was, it, it was a great dialogue among an audience that needs to hear those arguments, which I, I really appreciated. And Seth has spoken at the National Pro-Life Summit, and he's uh, kind of going out there and, and speaking on behalf of the sanctity of life in a, in a number of other places as well. Um, and that the younger generation, which you guys appeal to so well, is hearing those arguments. I really appreciate that, Seth. I, I'm glad you all are doing that. So, Seth, you were right. at, you were in Congress recently too, uh, testifying on censorship issues that are happening. Uh, give people insight into your statements there, and and the importance of pushing back on censorship that's happening on these social media platforms. Yeah. So that was um, that was a crazy experience. I. I was invited to to testify before this committee, a subcommittee that was looking at the issue of big tech censorship and what needs to be done about Section 230. Should we reform Section 230, which is the statute that gives these platforms, you know, li- uh, immunity from liability for engaging in content moderation? And and Section 230 has been interpreted very extravagantly to give them basically blanket immunity to do whatever they want, including censoring viewpoints that they don't like. And uh, and you know a lot. There's a debate about whether or not that was the intent. Did Congress really have that intent when they wrote this law? They didn't even know that social media was going to be a thing when they wrote this law. They had no view of what of what Facebook was going to be or what Twitter was going to be. So um, we had a conversation about that. And in my statement, you know, I, I emphasize the importance of distinguishing between the way things are and the way they should be. You know, right now we have laws that protect us from the government censoring us. And by the way, the use these platforms to censor us. So I do think they've turned these platforms into state actors at some point, specific points in time, even if they're not always doing that. 
Um, but but do we have laws that protect us from government censorship? And but we do not currently have laws in place that protect us from the greatest threat to speech in the public square today, which is privately owned companies like Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, etc. So the the law needs to catch up to the fact that our that our speech now takes place, the vast majority of public discourse takes place on privately owned companies. And people will say there's no legal recourse here. It, it, the law only applies to the government. You, your speech is not protected on these platforms. They, they can do whatever they want. They're privately owned. And that's not, it's simply not true. Mm. We have plenty of laws in place for a number of reasons that regulate the, um, the behavior, the actual conduct of private companies. Common carrier doctrine is one great example. Transportation companies, telecom companies, they can't discriminate against you based on your viewpoints. They have to serve you because they, they serve a public function. And the argument is that these, these platforms do too, and that it's not unconstitutional to have laws that prevent them from discriminating because that those are laws that regulate their conduct it doesn't infringe on their rights. It doesn't infringe on their speech rights. They try to call censorship speech, but censorship is not speech. So that was really the statement that I was making is that, you know, people get it all wrong. They think there's no legal recourse, but there is. And it would be constitutional to change the law so that our voices are protected in the public square. Seth Dillon, the great defender of free speech and uh, fighting these these government censors and these this combination of government and social media that really is restricting our freedoms and our options. A few more headlines before we close here with Seth. Beautiful AOC fails to notice handsome and talented satire writers, even though they keep writing hilarious headlines about her. <laughs> with Vice News closing, White House will have to lie to public directly. Seth, Give your writers a big round of applause. We have so much fun. It's in in a culture, especially in Colorado, where it's just lunacy, the laws that are being passed down at the state capitol, and it is so depressing what's happening. You really do provide joy and happiness for so many people. So thank you, and thank you to all your writers out there. We'll look forward to seeing you at the Western Conservative Summit in just a few weeks. All right. Thank you. Yeah, I'll pass that along to them. Uh, and I look forward to it, too. Awesome. Friends, Western Conservative Summit, about 30 days away. WesternConservativeSummit.com. You can download tickets there. Dr. Yoram Hazoni, the great Israeli political philosopher, Seth Dillon, Eric Metaxas, Tulsi Gabbard, Lauren Boebert, Kristen Wagner, the CEO of Alliance Defending Freedom, C.J. Pearson, Isabel Brown, Ken Buck, Harriet Hageman. She uh, took out... Liz Cheney uh, in Wyoming. She'll be there. Congresswoman Harriet Hageman, Jenna Ellis, Kofi Anderson, Frank Gaffney, Dr. Mark David Hall, so many more and new and more speakers being added all the time. So go to westernconservativesummit.com to download those tickets there. It is really genuinely a great gathering of joy and happiness. The, the police that serve us uh, sign up to be able to be a part of the Western Conservative Summit because it's one of the few things left in this country that they are actually celebrated in. Uh, we honor our law enforcement. We honor the military. The gospel of Jesus Christ is proclaimed at the summit. And then we're going to have a lot of fun with people like Seth Dillon as well. So you don't want to miss it. It'll be the highlight of your summer. I guarantee that to you, westernconservativesummit.com. Friends, when we come back, we're going to talk with another speaker. C.J. Pearson will be joining us from PragerU. So stick around. You're listening to the Frontier Freedom Hour. <laughs> 